You know you're going well, Vanders. I tell you what, you know you are going well when you can lead a series 3-0, lead a team by 200 runs and only fail to win by a wicket and the whole country turns against you. The draw in Sydney, Vanders, everyone's losing their mind because we're not 4-0 up. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. I mean, I was a little bit flat yesterday, not getting that final wicket. You were flat. Everyone's against Cummins. Everyone's, everyone's against Cummins, you reckon? Yeah, stuff him. Stuff him. It's a failure of leadership. This is why you can't have fast bowlers. If, you didn't, if you're not winning 4-0, then fuck it. I thought that the, uh, I thought the, the, crowd, the country was actually quite, quite lenient on Cummins uh, uh, so far um, with that, that declaration. But as well, I think with the, uh, the Aussies on day, end of day four... And day five, just not looking that revved up, possibly, um, and and you know maybe didn't didn't get stuck in as much as they they should have. But then I guess there's that argument tales between stay patient, the wicket will come, and don't hunt for wickets too much, which is maybe what they they heard on that side of, of patience and not trying to get too ahead of themselves. The problem is though, I think not so much the timing of the declaration. There was more than enough time to bowl them out, really considering we had probably three or four chances in that, that second innings and we still took nine wickets. So there was more than enough time. I don't care about that. The problem is, and this is where I'm interested in what you think, 2019 at Headingley, the SCG last year, Brisbane last year, now SCG again. When we have these massive leads and need to bowl out a side in the fourth innings, we can't seem to do it. Is there one thing you can point to and say this is the reason we can't? Like, because everyone just sort of reverts to Nathan Lyon and says, oh, well, Nathan Lyon doesn't bowl him out on the fourth day, so you can't do it. But I tend to think it's what you were just saying before. They just stick to plans. They've got a plan and they're going to be patient and hope that something happens and gets you out. Australia don't force, they, they don't force wickets. They don't force teams out anymore. It's a real problem for them to take it to the next level. Yeah, I agree. I think it felt, you know, Australia should have, should have won that game and, and we Stokes in, you just felt the fact that, you know, like they're a pretty good chance here because he's done it before. And always in those last day chases, if you can have a wicketless session, you're so much closer to, uh, to you know, I think, you know, what the Australians needed to get seven, six wickets in the last session. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was a lot. Which, which, which is a lot of, which is a lot of wickets to get. And, you know, stuff really nearly happened to the end there. But you're right. It's becoming, it's probably not actually a problem, but the fact that it's happened three times makes it a, a bit of a mental problem, possibly. There's a lot of pressure now on the, on the team. And I think the man to do something really was probably Patrick Cummins, which he very nearly did with those two mm. wickets in a row. Um, but, you know, Nathan Lyon didn't look particularly dangerous. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't for the light, I don't know if they would have gone with him um, for so long at the end of the game. I did want to touch on the, uh, the declaration um, tales mm. because... Had a lot of mates, you know, the uh, mates who chatting about it and said, oh, it was too late, you know, with the rain and not enough time. But I reckon, you know, it happens every every year, every season, every every test match that there's a declaration is the commentators and the experts are always saying now's the time and the captain inevitably goes later. And I think that that is probably because of the uh, the the pressure, you know, there's nothing to lose when you're in the commentary box or you and I, you can say, oh, declare now, they'll never chase 360. Yeah. Which they probably won't, but you don't want to be the captain that that uh, you know they, they get chased down like at Headingley. And the other the other thing I just wanted to say on that was there was enough time for Australians to bowl them out. Like they shouldn't have needed more time. So if you can't get them in four sessions, you know a bit of rain in there, I understand. But if you can't get them in what hundred overs, ninety eight overs, then they should be able to. So for me, the declaration wasn't wasn't an issue. 
the Bearstow two in particular, the the Bearstow one where he uh, was dropped at slip, obviously, and the run out really early. Uh, we'll get to Alex Carey a bit later on, but it's not so much the fact that we had those chances. You know, you had the wickets taken plus the chances. You add them up together, and you 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 know you get a number past ten. It's the fact that if you got Bearstow so much earlier, mm. then Broad has to survive a lot longer, and your bowls are fresher and all that sort of stuff. So. You're right. I don't. I don't have a problem with the timing of the declaration. I think it was fine. You needed a wicket on that night four, and you couldn't knock over Crawley or, uh, and Hamid. And you think, mm, if we can't, if we can't knock those two over, what are we doing? Yeah. So that was. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing. And I mean, Cummins nearly brought it out late. But tells he didn't bowl between uh, tea and lunch. Odd, wasn't it? What do you make of odd that? Odd choice. Yeah, really odd. I, I didn't know why he didn't. Like, I get the reverse swing. I get that. And maybe he's not a big, big reverse swing guy. But he is your guy. And I would have thought he'd be able to give you four, four overs at some point. It's almost as if he felt that he was going to have to put in, you know, a lot in the final session. So he was saving himself for it. And I thought that was a really odd choice. I, I get it. There's probably, you know, Green and Stark are better reverse swing bowlers. And it, potentially even Poland. But he is the guy. He's the best fast bowler in the world. And to not get an over out of him, admittedly in a shorter session, I thought was just it's just an odd choice. That's what I what I quite enjoyed tactically, when you've only got so many overs to go, is how many do you, for lack of a better word, waste or spend on spin? But also how many do you because spin's a lot easier for the tail to face, but how many do you particularly spend on short pitch bowling? Because if you've got all the time in the world. You know, Broad and Anderson are pretty hopeless with short pitch stuff, mm. but you're hitting the stumps less. And so to Broad, you know, how many do you bowl short at him to try and bounce him out versus how many do you try to hit the stumps? And uh, it's fascinating to watch the Australians sort of deal with that. And I thought maybe they could have just spent a little bit extra on some short stuff, just maybe a few, maybe five more balls over that over that last seven overs. It's an interesting, a really interesting question because teams do that to us, don't they? So you think of Wagner in 2019, 20, um, and, you know, Brawl, uh, I mean, Stokes in Adelaide, and I think Wood's probably done it at some point. Oh, teams do that to us, where they just have a bowler come on and just bowl a lot of bounces, just constantly bowl short. Right? And it, it's, it's partially a tactic to stop scoring and frustrate scoring, and you might frustrate somebody out. But we don't do that. It's really interesting that we don't have a bowler that will come in and just bang it in. And Cummins is probably the best at that. Like, he would be the best out of the ones we've got. But we don't have a bowler that will come in and bowl that spell of short bowling. When it's a common tactic now, and you're right, like, if we had a bit more time, maybe you would have seen that. But we didn't have the time, so Broad gets the buff. And and touching on what, what the English took out of the test, I actually... I was watching with fascination to see how they would react to that last ball because, you know, you've played awful. You've had a terrible tour, no doubt. You've survived one. First test, you've shown anything. Um, you know, they really wanted it. But I also was impressed at how they, um, you know, reacted. They were, they really wanted it. Ben Stokes was very nervous. But when they got it, there was no celebrations or, or like big high fives. It was more like, yeah, we showed something and we showed a bit of fire, which I thought was really impressive because, um you know, you go back to that 05 series in, in England where Australia celebrated that draw like you wouldn't believe. So I think that that sends a lot about, the, you know, their headspace. They know they're not going well, but they know it's a step in the right direction. So I was, I think England could take something good out of that. Um, you know, you have to wonder why 
and selection's not easy, but Bairstow wasn't playing earlier as well as Crawley. And they just look like they, they can they can they just look like mature test cricketers, I guess, and not sitting ducks compared to to other English players. Some of the English early in the in the in the tour, they're they're not making runs and they're sitting ducks, because at least Bairstow is gonna if he's in, he's gonna score. So Yeah. I mean, this is why I think we we talked about it previous to, to Boxing Day that I thought he should have just come in and opened and just played like a one-day opener and put some pressure on the Australian bowlers that way. I just I find this very frustrating, this revisionist history. We'll get to Kawaja shortly. But with Broad and, and Bairstow, they hadn't gone that well in Australia. Bairstow had made a ton here. Yes, he had. But he also averaged about 27 against us over about a dozen tests. Broad averaged, I think, 37 with the ball in Australia and with a striker at 80. So essentially, that's it. it takes him 38 overs to get a wicket. Now he comes in and bowls well. Absolutely bowl well. And Bairstow batted really well as well. But I don't think it, it's very difficult to say that, oh, they should have been in from the start. Well, Bairstow hadn't made a run in two years. Broad, look, he wouldn't have got through five, uh, five match series. Hasn't bowled well here ever. So I think it's a bit of revisionist history to, to sit there and say it was the English selectors that got this one wrong. Very quickly, though, on selectors, I did hear the English press saying how, uh, and this is something you're being on, the body language of the English players were better and they were a bit more noisy and there seemed to be a sort of a more energy and, and a bit of a refreshed group. Did you notice that at all or is this just people trying to read something into the result? Uh, I didn't notice a lot of body language necessarily, but just the, the fight is just a bit more hope and fight and they counterattack a little more. What I did love... Um, it was Ollie Pope behind the stumps, up and about. He was noisy. So, you know, that made a big, big difference. And I think, you know, Butler's been really disappointing behind the stumps, not so much necessarily with his catching as he's dropped a few, uh, but just his body language. Like, I think the keeper, you know, you may not be that chirpy um, pant style player for India, but you've got to be more vocal to run through and create that energy. You know, you don't have to be less so loud about it, but. A lot of blokes just walking. So that's what, um, you know, Olivier was just really enjoying being out there. They had a couple of other subfielders because of the injuries. Um, and they were just loving being out there as well. I think Don Bess was out there. So I think that's what gave the English. Um, they, they, they relied on some of the energy from players that haven't really played in this tour. And I think that was uh, you know, obvious to see. Tales, you mentioned just uh, briefly, you touched on Alex Carey earlier. Now, I wanted to get into his wicket keeping because he sort of snuck in the first test there without being, you know, keep good keepers aren't ever noticed or mentioned. And since then, there's been a few, there's been some, probably two or three instances where he should have gone and he didn't. And now uh, two or three instances of actual drop catches when he has gone um, and a missed run out. So it just looks like his feet aren't quite right and he's collapsing onto that right side also just before I let you go Mark War mentioned and I actually thought it was it was accurate is he seemed to be and this sounds silly unless you know what I'm sort of talking about but he seemed to be keeping directly behind the stumps um, and often to, to the to the right hander the keeper will be you'll be able to see him fully he won't be behind the batsman at all but Kerry actually seemed to be behind the stumps um, which gives him a lot more work to do to his right to the right hander which I thought was really interesting and obviously hard here on audio without visuals but it just seems to be a little bit out of sorts with that with that gap between him and first slip. I wonder if that's because um, the keeping behind the stumps, we seem to use that tactic a lot of the leg slip, the leg gully. 
And I wonder if he felt there's going to be a lot of balls going down leg that might just get a tickle on them or might just get a little bit of bat on him. And he was trying to give himself the best chance of getting him, maybe. Because, um, I, I mean, you, you and I have noticed that Warner is fairly narrow in that quarter, really, as far as we've seen first slips not stand that close before. Mm. Uh, so I, I wonder if it's, if it's a part of the team tactics, his positioning. His footwork, isn't, his footwork is problematic to me. And I also think that, you know, from the first, I, I mean, I get quite aroused looking at slip scoring and the slip scoring and set up. You do you know, get aroused looking at a slip scoring. And I, I noticed that since... I had a the very difficult field with you. First test of slip scoring was looking like perfect spacing, um, absolutely perfect spacing, and they were lined up really well. But since then, they've looked a little bit more like the English court and really tight, felt like in each other's pockets. Mm. Um, and I, I noticed it a lot. Um, it just doesn't look right. It looks uncomfortable. And that's when, you know, the discussions come and the commentators talk about it a fair bit when you don't know whose catch is. But when you know anything near you, you've got to go for, that actually makes mm. the catching better. So the whole slips court and setup is not quite as good as it was in Brisbane, which is interesting. I wonder if that, that comes into that confidence with Kerry and you caught it. Sorry, just very quickly. Did you notice the Smith drop late off best? Yeah, it should have been taken. I, I still maintain, and, and then I'll say this to my dinosaur, he is an amazing catcher. I don't think he's an outstanding slipper. He's not a natural slipper, I wouldn't say. No, he's definitely not. He's very he's not good to off the line. Not, not to a, the spinner? Yeah. Oh, I thought he's good off the spinner. His positioning, I think, is bad offline. There are way too many that drop short. And I think he's not great at fielding in a quarter. I think if he he would be a great like third slip where he could just always go. You know, a third slip can can dive and, and do those sort of things. I think he's a yeah. stunning catcher. Just not an outstanding uh, slipper, which is a weird thing to say. Taz, I'm going to get to the other, obviously we have a declaration. The other elephant in the room is the selection for Hobart for the Australians. Um, we'll get onto the English in a moment because they're just fully cooked. But the Australians, obviously you've got Travis Head to come back in. Um, so who is in your team? Are you picking Head, uh, Head Quaja, or, or rather, sorry, dropping Head, Quaja, or Harris? Quaja's as good as in because Quaja's well, as good as in because he got Cummins as support in publicly. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. And and I did see Ricky Ponting, who's probably as close to to anyone, um, say that he was going to pick Kawaja in place of Harris. I find it. I we've talked about it before. I'm not a big fan of Harris. I think Head's got a flaw that will ultimately hold him back. I think he's going to average late thirties in Test cricket. Now he's averaging over forty at the moment. And Kawaja's a better bat than the pair of them. Okay, that's uh, I. I don't think I don't think that's an argument. He's not a, so much better bat that it's a it's an open and shut case. I find it difficult to drop Harris now after you've backed him for so long, and then he, the last three hits. Okay, he's he's made two starts in a seventy, but he's averaged what forty seven last three hits, and he was the best he, top score in Melbourne. I don't think he's batted particularly well, but he's done what you asked him to do after you backed him in. So now you're going to go and drop him? That doesn't work for me. And then you've got Head versus Kawaja. And the two things to consider there are, one, how do you drop Travis Head? He, made, he won the first test for us with that 150. But then the second part is, what sort of precedent does that set if you've got COVID and you get dropped? Like, so Head, 
if you're Travis Hare and he didn't have symptoms or didn't have bad symptoms, he's probably keeping that to himself again if he gets dropped, which is not what you want, obviously. So I, I think Kawaja, the problem is Kawaja and Warner are the exact same age. Two 35-year-old two, two openers. They're both 35. And maybe it's the best solution for the next 12 months to get through Sri Lanka and Pakistan and India because I do not think that poor, poor Harris is going to go well in any of those places. But is it's not the solution for the next five years to pick uh, Kawaja now. And I just think if you drop Harris now, then that's it. He's not going to come back. So if you, you put your chips on the table with him and you're still hoping for something from him, he's showing you a little bit. I just think if you drop him now, he's not coming back from that. So you're essentially starting from scratch and trying to find another open, trying to hope that Pekovsky is going to be fit. Yeah. My, my attitude is similar to yours. I don't like the idea of dropping Harris when you've got a specialist opener. Um, mm. But I think the selectors will be honestly hoping for an injury. And the other one that they might sneakily get away with, it, they may, they may not, because, but they may decide young body Cameron Green to give him a rest. And you could just say give him a, you could just say give him a rest from bowling, which I understand completely. But Great maybe call. they'll just rest him for the test workload. So they might try a get out of jail card with that or praying for an eagle. But I think my call at this stage, because we're not trying to win if you're trying to win the series, probably drop Harris. But because it's a future game, I think you keep head out, which is hard because the selectors already said he's coming straight back in. But my call is keep made 150. He's made the highest He's keep this head out and really like the bowling cartel with those rotations. Like, hey, you've got all these bowls that are played. Try and use that batting as a similar vibe. But, um, you know, if they can get away with, with giving Cam Green a rest, I think they'll, they'll do that. But he's just coming good as well. So I don't know. On the, uh, on the English selection tales... They obviously, I mean, Josh Butler's already gone home. So, do they bring in? Well, folks has already gone home. You said as well. So they just proceed with Ollie. Ollie Pope took took what four catches. Yeah. I mean, I he's coming. I think they might. Him or Bairstow. And you Bairstow injured, but you'd say he stays on the side unless his injuries injuries worse than we thought. I found it unusual that they said him and Stokes are a genuine chance, considering the pain they were both in. Uh, particularly, I don't know how best is going to keep with his, his thumb injury, but uh, <coughs> I would be surprised if they both play. I would not be surprised if um, Billings comes in. I think I think they just give him a go. He's hitting the ball well. Like I think it's going to be a bit of a bucket type. You know, it's the fifth test. They always do it. Will he open? Uh, Billings? No, he won't. No, there's Who no way. Open? Hamid, you can't play Hamid anymore. He's got to Burns go. comes back. Burns comes back from Crawley. And, and you know what? Like, we talk about this a lot, um, about the importance. Like, people don't understand how important your partner is when you're batting. It's going to matter. I, I think it will really help Burns not having to try and score if Crawley can go out and do what, you know, bat the same way. I, I know that's a big if because he hasn't really shown any consistency yet so far in his career. But if he can go out and all of a sudden he's 30 not out and Burns is just doing what he wants to do, not... He's not trying to score too much. He's just doing what he wants to do. That might really help. Someone mentioned the other day that, and I don't have the exact stats on it, but Burns and Crawley, two of, over the last 10, you know, over the last few years, not 10, two of the most successful mm. openers for England, which is not saying that mm. much, but they've never actually batted no. together in a test match. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah. 
that uh, I think that's going to be the case. Um, and then you know to see who they rest the bowlers. Mark Wood was bowled. Probably not how he's bowled well. I think he's bowled okay. He's bowled really well, but he's they got to use as a workhorse, which is not his role. And then he got that yoga from Paddy Cummins as well. So it'll be interesting to see how his foot is. Um, I think Broad and Anderson probably both play last test in Australia for both of them. Yeah. Um, so I reckon uh, Robinson comes back as well for, yeah, for a day night test. Maybe even Wokes as well. He's a, he's a swing ball. So it'll be really interesting to see what they what they do there. Um, but they've just got all sorts of changes coming in left, right, and center. So hard to keep. Do you think? Given that Billings is coming in, and if Bearstow and, and Stokes do play and are fit or play as batsmen, is Milan any chance to be dropped? It feels weird to say it, but he's done fuck all for four innings. Yeah. He's averaging less than 30 for the I series. Don't, I don't think so. I just don't think they've got enough depth to be dropping someone who's averaging above 20. Fair enough. I'm just disappointed because it means we're going to be robbed of Hamid. And I love watching Hamid in the field. I love yeah. his ineptitude. It's so pure because he, he really does thrive. He looks, he looks fall down and he's just. He it's looks just, like a second grade. He looks like a second grade opening batsman that loves cricket. Like he just doesn't look, and he never make like the second grade opening batsman that never makes scores. Has a bit of an all right technique, but just is not dangerous. It's hilarious. Um, but Taz, just wanted to on the on the Hobart test again. You and I said that there was less chance than likely earlier in the uh, before we did the uh, the New Year's test. We both talked about this. We probably changed our tone a little bit now. There's not any more COVID. Well, I have. There's not more COVID in the camp, it seems. So I think that the Hobart test is now more likely to go ahead than not. The Hobart crowds will be interesting. People down here uh, have not been going out that much, especially the locals with the with the with the outbreak. So that'll be interesting. And I'm wondering if there's any way. You know, you can't resell people's tickets, but if there's no one turning up and the tickets are already sold, how do you get more people in the gate? Um, so I wanted to touch on that. I'll get your thoughts on that now. Then I have one little fun one to finish on. Oh, I was going to say, um, I think the only thing that will stop it is COVID in the camp now. So I don't think Gutters is, is going to pull the pin on it. I think that's going to, uh, going to keep going. Uh, my, uh, my parents have uh, lots of spare tickets now, amazingly. They bought, I think, uh, uh, two. They, they were members and they bought one guest pass each sort of thing. And now that those guest passes oh, are, I'm gonna have are to available. I'm going to hit them up. Well, you could, you could hang out with Carol and Jill for... For uh, a couple of days, if you if you really want, yeah. um, but I, I'll, I'll be going down for it. Yeah. So I'm still going to go down for it, even though I know the likelihood of what's what's going to occur. What days? Do. What days are you down? Oh, I'm only down what day one and two. Day one ah. and two, Friday, Saturday. Yes, ah. when you're at a wedding, unfortunately, conveniently yes. timed. I feel. So I'm seeing that wedding, so no doubt I'll be very bitter and aggressive in my sort of emceeing. Um, it'll actually be a little bit nasty, I imagine. So well, you should call the game while you're up there. Just like Besto, just now just that one into the offside. Uh, here's the bright, by the way. Last one I wanted to touch on quickly, and I, I can't tell if I'm reading this, but it's a bit of fun. Is I think I saw three or four Australians come out and do that whole oh down to the last, you know, last ball on day five. How good's chess cricket? Marlis oh, did it, Cummins did it, did it. Do you give think there's yourself. some sort of do you think there's honestly some sort of effort in the Australian camp to just oh, we just love playing cricket, that whole thing? Because they didn't say, you know, they're all acting like, oh, we're not devastated. It's just good cricket, good competition, you know. So I, I thought that was quite funny. I did wonder, perhaps pessimistically, if there was something organised in the Australian camp to put out that attitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to justify how good it was, to ignore the fact that we lost. Well, Tails, we will chat again later in the week about the uh, preview to Hobart. I'm sure more selections will uh, become clear as well as, you know, talk a little bit about that 
Hobart deck because there hasn't been a test match on it for a long time now. What do you think it's going to do? Uh, I don't know. I feel like every year it changes from being a batting paradise to a bowling paradise. So I don't no, really know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it on the pod. Absolutely, Tails. See you then. Catch you, Vanders. <laughs> <laughs>